Um, I'm excited about the passage that I get to share with you this morning. We're going to be looking at how God does the impossible. We're in the sermon series on the book of Isaiah in the month of February and March. It's a big, fat book in the Old Testament. Um, it's got a lot of great stuff for us to unpack in it. As we look at how God does the impossible, how we can trust him to do things that we just would not think are possible in and of ourselves, um, I think a lot of times when we think about God doing the impossible, we have different images in our head that come to mind. Maybe we think about healing. God uh, kind of healing uh, from drug addiction, uh, the cancer being gone. Maybe we think about some things in our personal life. We think about um, landing that great job that you couldn't have gotten any other way. Or, or we think about God paying off your mortgage, something like that. We think of impossible things in the natural world. Uh, rain, when there's, been, when there's been drought. I think that these are all quote-unquote, impossible things that God wants to do. I want to look at some of the big-picture characteristics of the impossible that God's going to do. What is God invested in? What does he really want to see happen? What's God's, like, play with all his power, all, all his uh, omnipotence? What's his play? What's he after? What's he going to accomplish in the impossible? Because the impossible that God's invested in, that's going to happen. I, in and of myself, sometimes I can have a hard time believing God for big impossible things in my life. For you, yes, absolutely. When it comes to myself, you know, I can hold back a little bit, say, oh, no, that's fine, that's fine, I'll deal. Sometimes we, we see big, impossible things, and, and we know that there's, there's some natural, um, we think there are consequences or something, like we'd all love it if there were no snowstorms. But we know that there's certain weather patterns that have to equal out. Really, you're okay with this? Okay, God bless you. Some of us are okay with the snowstorms. Um, but we know that there's some natural things. Sometimes we hold back. But I want to know the impossible that God is invested in. I want to know what God wants. I want to know this big picture. And I also want to know this in the day-to-day -day specifics. Are there things in our life that we think are impossible? Places where, where we say, I just don't see a way for this to happen. Realistically, it just, it ain't going to happen. Um, is it in maybe relationships, situations with people where we say, this is just the way it is. I don't see it getting better. Maybe it's in finances, areas that we think are impossible. You've been saving, you've been trying. Maybe it's in, in careers or, or dreams. And you think, realistically, reasonably, rationally, this just, I don't see a way forward. This is how it is. We're going to look at Isaiah's, he has a vision from God in chapter 11, the image that God gives him. Uh, we're going to look at what God showed him. It's really an amazing vision. That's really just super cool. Um, we're going to look at how it looked impossible when God gave it to Isaiah, it still looks impossible now. We're going to dig into how God is and will be fulfilling this prophecy. So let's ask God to speak to our hearts as we turn to Scripture. Let's pray together. 
God, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you that you speak to us. And you didn't speak to us in just a thin little couple of lines. You gave us the whole of scripture, the unfolding story of how much you care for us, the great lengths that you have gone to for us, how you've worked in so many different situations, so many different people's lives. We ask this morning that you would speak to us, Holy Spirit. Would you speak to me? Would you touch me? Would you change my perspective this morning? Would I love you a little bit more this morning? Would you speak to my heart in ways that I need it? As we come to you this morning, we, we say that we rely on you as a good place to be, to be relying on God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to start this morning in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. Starts, it says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From its roots, a branch will bear fruit. Stumps aren't really good for that much. You can sit on them maybe, but it's a marker of what has been, where there, there was a tree. It's out of a stump of the nation of Israel that God's going to bring forth something new. When, when the, the tree of Israelite royalty is cut down, when there's no such thing as an Israelite king, that's when God's going to bring forth something new. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, spirit-filled leader right here, he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of the, his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his wealth and faithfulness the, sla the sash around his waist. Sounds like someone we would all like to have in the driver's seat, right? What will he do? The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together, and the little child will lead them. They'll be so docile that a small child can lead a lion. The cow will feed with the bear, and the young will lie down together. I mean, next we're going to have like Eagles and Patriots fans hugging and congratulating each other sincerely from their hearts. The lion will eat straw like the ox. Second time we are told about vegetarian carnivores. The infant will play near the cobra's den and the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Here we see uh, an impossible situation, this stump, uh, a new growth coming out of it. Verses uh, 1 through 5 talk about this king that God will bring, bring to his people, this king and his character. Then verses 6 through 9 are about this king's kingdom, his kingdom of peace, what it will be like, the reconciliation um, when enemies are defeated and this king's kingdom is established. So in this vision of an impossible situation, the leadership of Israel is, is cut down, their nation is at a loss. Isaiah sees a vision 
of what God will do. And it starts with the coming king. The king's filled with the Holy Spirit. He shows seven signs of the Holy Spirit, seven being the number of perfection. He's totally righteous, and he's just, and he cares for the poor. Who could this king be? Who could this prophecy be talking about? Who's, who's just and cares for the poor and is righteous? Could be Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yep. Lots of people, they thought it was Moses. Uh, in the book of Jeremiah, there are a lot of parallels between Moses and who Isaiah is describing here. Um, king Hezekiah would be an excellent answer. He was king at the time of this prophecy, so the timings sort of works out. He was a very righteous king who did a lot to establish good worship in Jerusalem. Some of the other prophecies don't fit quite right for Hezekiah, but for, for this passage, he would be an excellent answer. Uh, Josiah would be another great choice. Uh, Josiah was um, about 100 years after this prophecy, so it's still fresh. He was really led by the Spirit of God. Uh, he judged with justice. He was faithful, dedicated to God. Josiah fulfills a lot of what this prophecy was saying about a righteous king. And then we move forward, and then we see Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of this prophecy. Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit, Heck, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Uh, he, what he's done, it says in this verse that he strikes the earth with the words of his mouth. The world has never been the same since Jesus. He came and he lived as the poor, with the poor. His priority and his care is for the poor. Jesus is a much closer fit for all, all of the prophecies um, than, than Moses or Hezekiah or Josiah would be. But the people in the year 600 B.C. who said, Isaiah chapter 11 is definitely talking about King Josiah. He's such a godly ruler. Look what he's done for the poor. He's done a lot to establish right worship again. I don't think they were wrong per se. I think that God was preparing the people for more. Josiah was part of his plan. Hezekiah was part of his plan. Moses was part of his plan. And then we get to Jesus and we're like, oh, there it is, all the way. But I think it's important to see that when God gives Isaiah a picture of what he's going to do, he doesn't, he doesn't just wait for 700 years. He starts giving us pieces now. He brings out the appetizers. Who likes appetizers? I'll take appetizers. I may want to wait for the main meal, but I'll take the appetizers. He shows us the trailer. He starts working us towards it now. When we look at biblical prophecies, we call this continuous fulfillment. And we see this a lot throughout the Hebrew scriptures of the Bible. It's like a dad who tells his kid, he's got a little kid, two or three, sitting on his knee, and he tells the kid, he says, someday I'm going to give you wheels. And the kid gets a little older, and, and he gets a tricycle for the kid, or, or maybe one of those fun battery-operated cars that they can you know, push into everything and get into lots of accidents with. And that's great. He's given his kids wheels. And then they get bigger, and it's onto a real bike, and they can explore and go places and go see their friends. And he's given them wheels. He's done what he said he would do. He's kept his word. He's fulfilled his, his promise. We know that there's probably a little more 
to that. Keep going, the, the kid grows up, gets older, and one day it's the car keys. And we see the fulfillment of what the dad meant to do, what he's been preparing them for, giving them more independence, training, right? There's a continuous fulfillment going on, and we see that a lot in how God works. The vision that God gives often has something for here and now and something for the future. And I think that this is important as we live out our life with God. When God promises us something or calls us into something, he gets us ready for it, gives us bits and pieces of it. He doesn't just wait around and then boom, there it is. Some of you know that uh, Stephen and I are in the adoption process. We've been working towards that for a couple of years now. And we met with our social worker here in Massachusetts back in November or so. And one of the very, very first questions she asked us when we had just met her is, if you get placed with kids, you're fostering to adopt, and they're in your home, and you're moving through the process, and they get taken away, what will you do? Well, thanks for, thanks for starting with the fun questions. And as I, I sat there and answered this, I, didn't, I wasn't thinking about continuous fulfillment in the Old Testament, but I do think I thought about this, that I believe that God has called us to adopt. God has called us to this. And there, there may be some, some steps we have to go through, things that God is preparing us for in different ways. But I know that God's call, what God's calling is, and I know that he will complete that and fulfill that for us, however, however it looks. And I know that God works through different roadblocks and speed bumps. I can say with honesty, I may not be okay with that situation, but I know that God works in that situation. I think that's important for me. That's important for us as we continue on um, our personal journey. I think it's important for every single one of us here. If you're here this morning, God is calling you into something. And God does the impossible, but he he doesn't do it all at once. God has promised things to you. He's calling you into things. He will do it. Maybe you haven't seen the fulfillment yet, but the fulfillment is worth waiting for. So as we see what God is promising to the people of Israel, what's their fulfillment? What are they waiting for? This coming king, what's he going to do? Verses 6 through 9 uh, say that the wolf will lie down with the lamb. Bears and cows will eat the same things. Their offspring will be friends. Animals will no longer harm people. You know how on the internet you see these cute pictures of like cats and dogs being friends, like this super cute little kitten curled up with a little puppy, and it's just really adorable and cute. Um, yes, like, like this. Um, or here the next one, this uh, dog that uh, adopted some kid goats. You can go look this up, the video on the internet, watch it multiple times. I did. Uh, the dog takes care of the goats. The goats jump all over him. This little fawn, I mean, I just want to say that there was a time in my life I was not interested in pictures of cute animals. And I want to testify how far Jesus has brought me. (laughs) You know what we don't see in these pictures? Lions and lambs. We see those pictures in National Geographic, and we flip fast through those pages. Goats with leopards. 
Don't see that? You're just never going to see posted on anyone's Facebook feed this cute little chicken chick and a coyote. just doesn't happen. Kids nowadays, we get all sorts of pets, but no one's going to let their kid just go play with a cobra or stick their hand into a viper's nest. I read this really entertaining book about this guy who hiked the length of the Appalachian Trail from Georgia to Maine. And the wildlife in some parts, especially Massachusetts or Pennsylvania, has become very tame. And the author talks about a group of tourists uh, who are feeding these bears. Very nice bears. Super friendly, domesticated, used to humans. All they wanted was a little food. So one mother, she thought what would be fun is to take some honey and put it on her kid's hand and let the bear lick it off her hand. It did not turn out well. Bears are carnivores and predators. That's just how it is. What we see here, the bear and the bear will feed with the cow, that's a total transformation of nature. This coming king will transform the way the world works. Verse 9, they will neither harm nor destroy on all God's holy mountain. What we're used to, what we think is normal, what we think is necessary, will be transformed. We will be moved back to God's original design. Artists have depicted this scene. Uh, it's very famous in art. This one's over at the uh, Worcester Art Museum. This is a picture of Eden restored. God has spent the time since the Garden of Eden restoring the results, the effects, the consequences of us doing things our way, us turning our back on God. He's restoring and fixing the whole earth. And the picture that Isaiah has, the lion eats grass. Whether this is kind of metaphorical or allegorical could be a question. But the point is that nature itself is totally transformed. What was dangerous is now no longer dangerous. The point is that we have been transformed back to God's original design. We see that the coming king will defeat the predators of the world. In this picture, there's no big guy and little guy anymore. The lion doesn't have power over the lamb. This is something essential about what Jesus came to do. He defeated the power of the Roman Empire. He took on the religious establishment. Jesus' cross and resurrection is the final answer to bullies and tyrants of the world that the worst the world can come up with, death on a cross, is met with resurrection by God. When Jesus died on the cross, he, he stepped over into the devil's territory. He stepped fully over into death, sin, evil, loss. And then he did what no one else has ever done. He came back on the other side. In Jesus, we see the powers of evil defeated, their power taken away. When Jesus brings about resurrection and a new way of living, we see predators defeated and we see enemies reconciled. 
This is the power of what Jesus did. On the cross, he reconciles us to God, but he also reconciles us to each other. When we're brought back into right relationship with God, we can also be in right relationship with each other. What Jesus did reconciles us both to God and to each other. Paul's letter to the Ephesians says it this way, starting at verse 15, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body, through his body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death our hostility, our way of doing things, their way of doing things, separate groups, separate peoples. He came and preached to you who were far off, preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Why are we brought together through the cross? Because we are both brought together to God. We're all sons and daughters of God, and that puts us on equal footing. Reconciliation is the spiritual process involving forgiveness, repentance, justice that restores broken relationships, that restores broken systems to reflect God's original intention for all of creation to flourish. Reconciliation is what this picture is all about. The lion and the lamb, the kids and the snakes, it's all about reconciliation. God reconciles us to himself and us to each other in ways that we thought were impossible. And that's why as a vineyard movement, the vineyard has leaned into racial reconciliation over the last couple of years because God reconciles. That's why as a movement, the vineyard empowers both men and women to use whatever giftings they have. That's why so many marriages have found real hope in following Jesus because God reconciles. And ultimately, in this picture, we see that God will bring peace. Reconciliation that brings about peace is essential to what Jesus came to do. As followers of Jesus, we're called to peace in all ways, personally, in our relationships, corporately, communally, nationally. It's the outworking of the reconciliation that Jesus has accomplished most of us have very low expectations for this area. We expect we'll have some enemies, we'll have people get on our nerves, we get on their nerves. That's normal, right? But Romans 12 tells us, uh, Romans 12 verse uh, 17, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live in peace with everyone. It doesn't always depend on us, but we're called to that. Most of us, we don't expect peace. We, we expect wars. We, we expect that there are going to be conflicts, and this is just the way it's going to be. But we can't look at the final goal of God's kingdom be like, oh yeah, but we'll just bomb some people first. Right? We're called towards that as God's goal that he accomplishes it. If the lion and the lamb can be friends and be at peace, then so in God's power can we. I just think that when we look at scripture, we need to take what God is calling us to as seriously as what we see on the news. 
Jesus' work is never like spiritually abstract. It's never this kind of Zen thing that we can say, oh, we're, we're at peace with God, you just can't see the effects of it. We're at peace with God, I'm just not at peace with you. God's work is always effective. It happens in the spiritual reality first, and then we see its effects in the natural. Jesus came to bring a new way of living and to turn the world back to its original design. It's being worked out right now, and one day it will be totally completed. So as we look at what God is doing, what he's accomplished through Jesus, and what he's going to fulfill one day when Jesus returns. I think what it leaves me thinking of is who do we need to be reconciled with today? If Jesus came to bring reconciliation, if he's reconciled us to himself, who do we need to be reconciled with today? Are there broken relationships that we need to bring to Jesus? Are there people that I need to apologize to? Groups, people groups, organizations, other religions that I just hold on to um, dislike for, um, that I need to be reconciled to? Are there family members we need to reach out to, knowing that this is what God calls us to? Um, there's a British pastor. He works with the Alpha organization. I have a quick video here. And he talks about how God guided him to peace in a difficult family relationship. So God works in our relationships. Um, I know some of you here have seen God reconcile difficult family relationships. Um, we heard Anita's testimony um, on January uh, 1st on our New Year's Eve service. This is really what God wants to do. He's come to bring us to himself and to bring us to others. And it just tells us from uh, this passage, from the big picture of what God is doing, what kind of impossible is God invested in? Reconciliation. Reconciling us to God seemed kind of impossible. Reconciling Jews and non-Jews in, in the early days after Jesus seemed kind of impossible. God brings about the impossible. Reconciliation is central to the gospel and central to what God wants to work in us as he brings about his kingdom, his kingdom of peace. Um, worship team, if you guys want to uh, come on back up. Oh, do you want to play? Sure, fine. <laughs> you know, we had a sort of a heavy relationship, my mom and dad, and I never really got on with my father. And he was absent most of my life actually, either drunk or having some affair, just awful. And then when I became a Christian, I wanted a relationship with my dad. I wanted him back in my life. I had to track him down, which I did, and he was living in a, a pensioner's flat in Macclesfield on his own. You know, I thought he'd have changed like I did. He hadn't. He was grumpier. He was older. He was drinking more. He was just vulgar, crude you know, sarcastic, and it was exactly what I remembered. And I invited him down to our house, to our home in, in London, and he'd get the train down and I'd meet him at Euston Station. And every time I'd meet him on, on the platform, I'd go and get him when he was coming off. He'd be whinging and moaning and complaining and slightly drunk. And one of the things he used to whinge about all the time was money. 
And then one day he came to stay and it's, um, he got quite poorly and I had to go to the local hospital. Ended up staying for a week. It was a nightmare. Um, and I wanted to get him back home when he was better. So we took him to Euston Station and I put him on the train uh, and sat him down. And right in the middle of the carriage, I had this overwhelming feeling of love for my dad. And it was really weird. And I almost started to cry in the carriage. And I looked at him and I felt really sad for him that we'd never had a relationship. I don't ever remember eating a meal with my father. All that stuff came up for me. And in my mind came this idea to upgrade his ticket to a first-class ticket to Manchester. And, and I bought a very expensive single uh, first-class ticket back to Manchester. And I walked him into the first-class compartment and I sat him down and I kissed him on the head. And as we stood on the platform, Amanda said to me, what on earth are you doing? I said, you know what? I have no idea. I just really wanted to see my dad happy. And as I looked at him through, through the window of, of the carriage, I saw my father take his trilby off. He always wore a hat, take his trilby off and put it on the table. He hit the, the recline button and sort of leant back in the, the leather seat. And then he clicked his fingers and some of the waiters brought him a cup of tea and some biscuits. And then he got his newspaper out and started to read it. And as he was doing that, he just turned to look at me out of the window. And he had the biggest smile on his face that you could ever see. It's like every birthday and every Christmas had all come together. And he was beaming. And that was the last time that I ever saw my father. Three weeks later, he died of a, a, a massive heart attack on his own in that pensioner's flat. Now, I always think, was that me just making up an idea that I thought I might buy him a ticket? Or was that God guiding me? I have a real peace with my father through all those years of, of arguments and fighting and drinking and womanizing and, and, and just awful stuff. The only image I've got of my father is that picture of his face looking through that railway carriage as it drove off. Our relationships and God guides us into that. What God wants is for us to be brought back to him and us to be brought back to each other. Worship team, if you want to come on back up. I think there's an invitation for us this morning. God is calling us back to himself in little ways and in big ways. It's God's desire to be with us, to be fully reconciled, to be close to each other, to experience the goodness and the intimacy of that relationship with our Heavenly Father. And God is calling us to be reconciled to each other, to experience the fullness and the goodness of relationship with one another when past hurts and wrongs are just given over to Jesus, when we can experience the healing power of Jesus, not just for ourselves, but for others together with us. This may seem impossible, but God is God of the impossible. He knows what he's doing. He knows his timing. And when God does it, it's good. So let's pray this morning as we move into a time of worship. The worship team is going to lead us in a couple of songs. Let's pray. And I want us to really receive the fullness of God's love for us 
and to also just put before God situations that may seem impossible. I want us to receive this morning God's hope, God's grace, God's restoration spiritually, and we know that that will have effects in the natural. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the power of your love for us. Thank you that there really is no links that you would not go to to bring us back to yourself. Yeah, you were willing to go to incredible lengths to come to this earth, to die. You will not stop now. You're bringing us to yourself, and you're restoring us to each other. So Jesus, right now we give to you um, broken relationships that need reconciling. We give to you situations in our life that seem impossible but we know, Jesus, the fullness of your salvation, the fullness of your restoration. And we pray into that this morning. Thank you that you are gracious to us, that you do not withhold from us, that you give us the best. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you.